Welcome to Mintcast, a podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. I'm Bill. Running for position four, I'm Joe. I'm just Moss. Norbert couldn't be here today, or at least he hasn't showed up yet. This is episode 385, recorded on Sunday the 17th of April 2022. First up in the news, Mint 21 will have a new graphical upgrade tool. Fedora plans to remove BIOS. Gnome 43 reworks Edweta tools. A Sony engineer makes XFAT 73% faster. And Alibaba previews a 128-core ARM V9 server processor. In security and privacy, well, we have none because it's a secure world. In our wanderings, <laughs> in our wanderings, Joe is bored of school runnings. Oh, bored is in your bored of it or... Joe is bored of school runnings. (laughs) Uh, I think it means he's running for school board. Norbert is looking for a mate. (laughs) Moss blew up Cody, and Bill is browser casting. Linux Mint 21, Vanessa we'll have a new graphical tool to upgrade from Mint 20.3. And this is from 9 to 5 Linux. Clement Lefebvre, somebody tell me how to say that. Lefebvre. Lefebvre revealed the fact that the team is also working on a new upgrade utility to make things significantly easier for newcomers who want to upgrade their current Linux Mint installations to a major release, such as Linux Mint 21. Uh, upgrades towards a point release within the same major version of Linux Mint are quite simple and easy to perform. Upgrades towards a next major release, however, are much more complex. They require an advanced level of knowledge and experience, and they are performed using the command line, said Lefevre. Lefevre? Just call him Clem. Lefevre. Clem. Said Clem. Yeah, Clem. I'm sorry, Clem. We are working on an upgrade tool which will make this significantly easier in the future. Uh, the new Linux Mint upgrade tool promises features like a fully graphical interface, localization in various languages, the ability to perform more tests or uh, more checks to ensure the upgrade process will go smoothly, fully configurable, and abil- uh, the ability to preserve the user's choice of mirrors, as well as the ability to provide and handle various upgrade scenarios. In addition, the new upgrade tool won't force users to remove their custom repositories and PPAs and warns them about orphan packages, but lets you keep them. Leo Chavez has shown how the beta works in updating from LMDE4 to LMDE5, and there's uh, two links in the show notes so yeah um presumably upgrading from major versions was more difficult than just uh pseudo do release upgrade i was actually i was actually surprised that Mint didn't have this feature before yeah ubuntu's had it for a while but it doesn't always work the best it's historically it's been you know most people that are serious about it will always just nuke and pave that you know take that opportunity to do a nice clean installation yeah that's what i did but uh for my desktop now i plan to try upgrading from fedora 35 to 36 because i've heard good things about fedora's upgrade system yeah that's pretty new too yeah 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 well speaking of fedora nice segue by the way yep uh fedora plans to deprecate legacy bios support and remove legacy xorg drivers oh this it? is you norbert yep. i'm sorry fedora take two yep fedora plans to deprecate legacy bios support and remove legacy xorg drivers this is from Foronix. a change proposal was published today for deprecating legacy bios support with fedora 37 this application will not remove the legacy BIOS support for F for Fedora 37, but will not support non-UEFI installations for new Fedora X64 installs. Eventually, though, there are plans to work towards removing the legacy BIOS support entirely. Those running Fedora on a legacy BIOS system right now will continue to be, to be able to upgrade to F37 packages without a fresh install just fine. With Fedora having phased out 32-bit x86 OS installations already and placing system requirements around that of at least 
2006 era hardware, this change shouldn't impact too many users besides those that just have UEFI support disabled on their otherwise supported hardware. Adding to the interesting changes being worked on for Fedora 37 due out later this year is the removal of legacy XOG drivers. Fedora is looking at removing these legacy graphic driver paths that are incompatible with running Wayland. A change proposal laid out this week by Red Hat's Adam Jackson is for removing the VESA and B and FB dev XOG drivers and it, uh, an intern associated support code from the XOG server that leads to using those drivers. This is part of transitioning further away from X11 that focusing on VLAN support. The BF dev slash Visa XO driver code isn't well maintained and largely used by obsolete graphics cards that lack hardware acceleration anyhow. Right, this is interesting. So, this is what we need Fedora for, though, is to make the what would be a crazy decision for anybody else. You know, for Fedora, if anybody's going to lead the way and make the decision and pull the trigger and say, okay, if we're gonna, if we're ever going to move over to this new technology, we need to. We need to make it the status quo, and it needs to start with a distribution like Fedora. So I, I don't think it's any surprise. The second article it always begs the question: Is it ready? The second article was interesting because when I read the title about the Exo drivers, I thought that my first impression was that they are planning to deprecate Exorg altogether. But it's apparently just something that isn't really being used anymore. But the BIOS part is interesting because it says that people who are running uh, with legacy boot will be able to upgrade. But if something goes wrong on the computer and they want to reinstall, they have to install Fedora 36 and then upgrade to 37. But if it happens after Fedora 36 is uh, has reached end of life, then that wouldn't work. And apparently, I, I, I'm not really sure how many people are, are uh, running systems that do not have uh, UEFI support. But somewhere someone uh, told me that apparently there are some motherboards that uh, don't let you run uh, unsigned kernels. No, that don't, that won't let you uh, use UEFI unless secure, bo- secure boot is turned on. Now, this doesn't really impact Fedora because Fedora's kernels are signed. But if this become maybe someone Okay, let's say it, it's probably not very common, but if someone dual boots Fedora with another distro, I dual boot Fedora with uh, Void, and if if I had a motherboard that didn't support VFI, if secure boot is turned off, then I wouldn't be able to do that in the future. So people had... Uh, uh, it, I think it, it was probably a vocal minority, but people had uh, pretty harsh uh, reactions to this. I'm not sure how many people are impacted, though. Well, I, I I maintain what I said before. If it's if it's how long has Wayland been a thing? How long has UEFI been a thing? How long have any of these things been around? But yet they they're slow to be adopted because uh, nobody has pulled the trigger to make it you know the normal thing that we're going to support. You know. Well, we were waiting for Nvidia to actually get on board with the actual standard. Well, and I think they may have to a point now. As far as I understand it, if you really want good, I can almost understand NVIDIA's problem here is the constant, from their perspective, the moving of the goalpost as the kernel is upgraded all the time. That That's just not something they're geared up to keep up with. And if you are using a distribution like a long-term support release of anything and you're staying on a stable kernel, then you've got decent nvidia support but i think the problem is comes when people are wanting to keep up to date with their xorg and their in their wayland and all of the versions of the kernel and all that and they're expecting uh nvidia to keep up with that for somebody like fedora i mean i can't think of another distribution out there who we expect to be on the forefront of adopting the new technologies and then applying the amount of resources necessary to make them work, you know? So I, I don't, I don't blame Fedora for doing this. What's interesting to me is that Fedora is uh, the upstream of Red Hat and Red Hat is uh, a paid product in, 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 in in the proper environment. So it's, I find it interesting how Fedora tends to be more risky when adopting new stuff because the, the downstream project Red Hat is supposed to be stable because, People are uh, paying for support for it. 
I think there's enough well, like timeline in between hat. the two that they don't worry about it. I think Red Hat uh, is making money so they can pay their people to work on these projects, and so they get them fully formed before anyone else does. Yeah, and they want to be out in front of this stuff like anybody else. Anyway, moving on, though. Go ahead, Joe. Plans for GNOME 43 and beyond. This is from Chris Davis's blog. Alexander Mikolenko spent a long time reworking Adweda so that it works with recoloring, and Chris Davis wants to take full advantage of that with the next two features, global accent colors and a recoloring API. LibAdweda makes it simple to implement a much-wanted personalization feature, customizable accent colors. Global accent colors will be opt-in for app developers. For the back-end, Chris wants accent colors to be desktop and platform agnostic, like the new dark style preference. Chris plans to submit a proposal for this to the XDG desktop portal in the near future. In GNOME, it'd probably be best to show only a few QA-tested accents in the UI, but LibAdWeta would support arbitrary colors so that apps from KDE, GNOME, Elementary OS, and more all use the same colors if they support the preference. I don't know if I understand this more or less as time goes on. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I, I just noticed last week that Plasma implemented a accent color thing, so you can basically make all the you can basically make the breeze theme look like any uh, theme out there because it's you're basically changing the color of the of the folders and stuff like that. The first time I looked into I started looking into GTK themes, my one of my first impressions was that, for example, Adveto had a, a blue accent color. And I found it interesting that in order to get a different accent color, I had to go online and look for a fork of Adweta that implemented the different accent colors. So I assumed there would have been a way for me to just maybe change one or two lines of code where the colors are specified for it to, for a, to be, but apparently when I looked at those CSS style sheets, they looked a bit complicated. So I think what is, what Libadweta is doing is ironic people are complaining about being less, uh, it making stuff less uh, customizable, but more consistent. But uh, lately I've tried the GNOME Circle app called, I think it's called Metadata Removal. Metadata mm. Remover. And it had a really nice, it, it just had the standard Libadweta style uh, uh, bar at the top, but it was purple. And it looked nice. And, I mean, if uh, different uh, apps using Libadweta started uh, using uh, different colored uh, bars at the top and everything, I would be done with it. I, I would, I would be, I would be absolutely done with it. Uh, I, I would uh, be willing to give up on a, a consistent color scheme if it meant that apps could have a proper consistent look, but uh, different uh, color scheme. So I really like the idea where they're going with, uh, with accent colors. Or distributions and distributions could apply different color scheme just to provide their own coherent also, style. Also, standardizing things under the hood between desktop environments and between distributions is also really important. I've yeah. heard about Fedora developers trying to create a new implementation, a new standard implementation for how app indicators uh, work under the hood. And uh, for example, the, what what, uh, what the GNOME team did with the dark uh, prefer dark mode preference, the same uh, standard could be used by any desktop environment. So if we had Something that is for colors as well across desktop environments. I think uh, miss there wouldn't be less issue with applications looking mismatched when you install them and they're meant to be run on different desktop environments. Well, GNOME looks better than it used to. <laughs> That's about, about all I can say. The problem is uh, <laughs> pro less. I I, I, th I think too, but. There are people who don't like the new new Adweta theme. I'm still getting used to the new Adweta theme because I like how it's how it's more simple and flat. But also, I like something about the old Adweta that I'm missing from the new one. So it's it's a mixed bag for me. I probably get used to it as time goes on. Right on. All right. Well, moving on. Sony engineer speeds up uh, speeds Linux XFAT driver by seventy three percent. Oh, finally. Uh, this is from Pharonix. 
The latest Linux XFAT driver improvement worth mentioning is a significant performance improvement from a Sony engineer. When an XFAT file system is mounted in its DirSync mode, the improvement uh, reduces block requests when zeroing a cluster. In turn, this improved block request handling leads to 73% and higher performance improvements for tests carried out by Sony engineer Yuzhang Mo. Yuzhang Mo. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, Yuzhang Mo on an ARM test platform with SD card storage that is common for Microsoft XFAT file system storage. I had no idea speed was a problem with this. Well, everything has been a problem with it. They've been cleaning it up quite a bit. I think Samsung did a major rewrite of yeah. it, and apparently now they found a way to speed it up over at Sony, and that's a good thing. Yep, any improvement's a good thing. It feels like XFAT is sort of an odd one out among fire systems, because you have NTFS for Microsoft. Some people say it's not very good, but it works. At least it's always worked for me. But FAT32 had that limitation of file size. And mm-hmm. as far as I know, XFAT is uh, a patched up, modernized, modernized version of FAT32. But again, I don't know how it works under the hood. I, I just had, I think I had some issues with it. Once I was formatting something to XFAT in Linux, but Microsoft, the Windows uh, wouldn't be able to recognize the partition. Then I formatted it uh, in Windows and it worked in both systems. The cool thing about XFAT that I've noticed is that you can mount it and use it in user space, yes. and you ain't got to do anything as root with it. Yeah. So it's. But the fact that you know, it works in user space makes it. Uh, I think it's what makes it. Uh, yeah. Not very performant. No, I've I've never used it for anything other than just uh, thumb drives and SD cards, and I'm gonna throw some photos on or something like that. You know that I need to be able to access from basically anywhere. any type of hardware. Yeah. Because if you want to just be able to access something on Windows and, and Linux, you can use NTFS. But if you also want to be able to access it from, uh, from an Android phone, for example, I have an external SSD that I move between my computer and uh, both Windows and Linux and my phone. So I have it formatted to XFET. So XFET is basically the only file system you can use to be able to move stuff between all three kinds of devices. I read that Android is supposed to recognize EXT4, but for some reason my phone doesn't. So maybe it's not implemented in every uh, manufacturer system. All right. So what do you got here, Moss? Alibaba's 128-core ARM V9 server processor is ready to be ready for preview from Tom's Hardware. Alibaba Cloudus started offering its clients a new type of instance powered by its own 128-core Yitian 710 server-grade system-on-chip, introduced last October. Apparently, the processor designed by Alibaba's T-Head subsidiary is now ready to power Alibaba's instances. But to try it, companies have to get an invitation from Alibaba, and the number of Yitian-powered instances is extremely limited. Alibaba's T-Head Yitian 710 Server SoC packs 128 ARM V9 cores operating at 3.20 GHz. It has 8 DDR5-4800 memory channels that can provide the cores up to 307.2 GB per second of bandwidth, as well as 96 PCIe 5.0 lanes to attach high-performance solid-state storage, network cards, and other devices. The Yitian integrates 60 billion transistors and is made using a 5 nanometer fabrication process, making it one of the most complex processors ever developed. Hmm. That sounds like it'd be fun to play with. Yeah, let's get one. Yeah, I want one for my computer, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it'll run circles around the Apple M1. Yeah, you think it would run Moksha good? Oh, I I can see it on Bodhi. (laughs) Bodhi has been uh, talking, uh, this is way off topic here, Bodhi has been asking people to uh, tell the de- the developers which of their themes that they like the most or the least, and they're going to be deprecating some of the themes and adding some new ones for uh, the next version. I don't know if that's for 6.1 or for 7.0. Hmm. Boy, did I get off topic. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> 
because it's news. Yeah, it's news. <laughs> That's what we're here for. And we've got no security or privacy updates. So moving on to the biweekly wanderings. Joe, what do you got going on? Well, currently, between running for the school board and getting ready for the new position at work, I've had very little time to work on any projects or anything very Linux-related. I've done a lot of block walking and done a couple of forums, both online and in person. Block walking, it's interesting. I get to meet people from all sides of the school debate. And it looks like I'm going to end up on TV tomorrow, which I don't think I've done before. Um, I remember doing radio interviews as a kid, but definitely nothing on TV. Uh, not that much different than YouTube, I guess. And then the new position at work, it's been delayed again, but um, they're still just waiting on paperwork to get settled so that I can move over to it. So we'll see when that happens. And no telling what my hours will be after the switch. But I'm sure it'll be fun and interesting. Uh, I have started using a new Android application called Teleprompter, and it is, you guessed it, a teleprompter. It's been very useful in making some of the campaign videos that I've been working on. And, well, they've been getting some pretty decent views. So, a friend of mine accidentally had a bottle of bubbles spilled on her MacBook. And now I have a chance to fix it. From what I can see online and a little bit of work I've been able to do on it, I have, um, I, I know it's one of the power rails that's shorted, but I still need to get the board the rest of the way out of the casing before I can work on it. And it's, I, I have the back off. I've done some testing. I can see some of the voltages that are there. I can't find any shorts yet. Um, I got, seven Samsung Level U Bluetooth headsets that I ordered from eBay. I got the uh, I got these because the drivers are decent and I can get them at a much better price than the one more triple drivers right now, which even broken are a bit exorbitant in price. I mean, I could see doing like $15, $10 for the one mores, but the cheapest you can get them even broken right this second is $25. So I was able to get some soldering in, which always helps my mood. But it takes like 15 minutes to print one of my newly redesigned casings and a couple of minutes to extract the wires and the driver and hardly any time at all to solder both sides and put it together. All told, with printing, if I'm doing just one of them, I've got the process down to 25 minutes or less. Um, I have been having to glue it all together, and that takes four hours of it sitting there, but that is it. Um, I did find Moss's teeth, and I was able to get the modifications that he wanted done to it. So, so that... And now he wants more. Yeah, now Moss wants, wants more <laughs> fixing on those, so he's going to send them back to me, and I'm going to bust out the Dremel and get a bit more done. So between that and the two fixed players that I sent back to him and the fixed headset, I forgot to ship the power supply and uh, the other headset. Sorry about that, Moss. But they've all been shipped off, and Moss has them in his hands currently. I think he's got the headset on right now. Um, at the time that I shipped Moss's stuff, I also sent off the bad battery for the XPS that was faulty. However, the replacement they sent me had the exact same problem. So I spent a bit of extra money and got another battery from iFixit for the laptop. And it came in and I tested it out, but I'm getting the same issue. Now I have to think that it's an issue on the motherboard. I've done some testing to try and find the problem, but this is a bit outside my normal space and I'm not finding the issue. Uh, the only other things that I can think to do next is either take a chance and buy another motherboard and hope it works, or buy a working laptop, uh, the Dell XPS 139360, and see if I can find any differences between the two boards. And well, it would also give me a way to test the two batteries that I have. I did get the RAM that Josh sent me. Thank you, Josh. But the time of writing this, I still have not put it in. I really need to. My server is giving me problems and maxing out the RAM and the swap. 
while running Chrome and my VM and various chat applications. So it's definitely something that I need to get to and preferably soon because um, I guess 16 gigs of RAM just, you know, aren't enough for everything that I do, which sounds absolutely crazy to me since I think my first computer had like probably less than 256 meg of RAM forever and a day ago. Sounds but, like it's a job for Antics Linux. Yeah. All right, Norbert, what have you been up to? Well, recently on the Linux user space stream, the Mate desktop came up, specifically the origin of its name and how and pronunciation. And Mate is pronounced the way it is because it's named after a South American beverage of the, of the same name, which I tried before a couple of times, but this conversation made me want to drink it again. I think I have, haven't had Mate in years. So at the time it was also great because I ran out of black breakfast tea, uh, which was my cho- uh, source of caffeine of choice. And since Mate has caffeine, it would, it would be a suitable replacement. So one thing I read about Mate is in multiple places is how it's a perfect middle ground between coffee and tea. It has less caffeine than coffee, but more than tea. And supposedly if you drink Mate, you won't, don't get the jitter, jittery side effects of coffee, but you still get more and you get more focus than with tea. So apparently it's better for improving focus than both coffee and tea. Uh, focus and, con- and concentration. But I also wanted to experience the traditional way of drinking mate, which is done from a gourd, an actual gourd. They uh, turn those into little cups uh, with a straw that has a stainer built in. Nowadays, they usually use uh, metal, uh, metal straws. So I ordered myself a gourd. Knowing myself, if I ordered the traditional proper gourd made out of a gourd, uh, I would inevitably uh, forget to clean it out and leave the wet uh, mate leaves in it and it would get moldy. So what I got, to be on the safe side, is a ceramic uh, gourd, sort of a fake gourd, but I have a proper straw. Uh, and uh, for those who are watching the video, there's this uh, flat head on the straw that has uh, a strainer built in. Right now it's uh, dirty with leaves because I was drinking it. Now it's... I, I ran out of mate. But the cool thing is that they basically... This is like a two, uh, 200 milliliter gourd and they fill it up with dry leaves. I think uh, more than half way through. So if you drink mate this way and you keep refilling it with water because you can uh, resip it, you end up consuming more caffeine than with a strong cup of tea, which is, which is interesting. But if you just were to steep the mate leaves like you would steep uh, tea, you would still get more caffeine than from tea, but less than if you were drinking like a proper strong cup of coffee. I, I don't really drink coffee. I haven't drank uh, coffee for years. I've been sticking to tea. But what's interesting is that sometimes when I just don't stop drinking tea for maybe a week, sometimes I just go on a, I wouldn't call it a detox, but sometimes it, it feels necessary to just stop drinking tea because green tea is acidic. If I drink green tea for like uh, one or two weeks every day, multiple times a day, I think my I need to spend some time not drinking any tea, and even if I don't drink any caffeine, my I don't feel the vid I don't feel any withdrawal symptoms. So I think my tolerance for caffeine is pretty high. But whenever I'm tired or I have to focus something, I do notice that it helps me focus significantly. So for about a week, I've been drinking mate every day, and I think I've I think the effects were stronger than if I were just drinking a tea. Uh, a cup of tea. Previously, I would just uh, lately I'd be drinking uh, English breakfast tea, more specifically the Yorkshire brand of tea, which I really like. I, it's my favorite favorite uh, uh, English tea, and uh, it did a good job at, at waking me up whenever I uh, got uh, little too little sleep. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. You can even uh, steep mate with cold water, which I think I prefer because it doesn't start out as strong as it would. Uh, apparently it's uh, full of vitamins and antioxidants, so it's uh, just as healthy as green tea. But it's not as expensive as a good quality green tea. So in more than one way, it seems to be a really good middle ground between coffee and tea. So if anyone is looking uh, to maybe ditch coffee for something else, but finds tea to be not strong enough, uh, they could give mate a try. Uh, coincidentally, not coincidentally, for the... Uh, from the same uh, conversation on the stream, I also decided to try the Mate desktop. I haven't really, I installed the Ubuntu Mate 22.04 uh, beta. 
I haven't really played around with it, but uh, I might do in the next two weeks so I can report my findings. Uh, I'm doing it on the premise that it seems to be very similar to to XFC, which I'm using. So I'm really interested to see just how similar it is, because I know GNOME, GNOME 2 was really popular. And uh, I think that's I, that's all I wanted to see. So how about you, Moss? Well, how about me? I got an early start on LMDE5. My results will be reported later in the show. I tried to install Solid K EE12, but the installer said I didn't have a Wi-Fi card. I installed Solid K10 instead, proving that they know how to find my fairly standard Wi-Fi. I remained in contact with the forum for a couple of weeks until I gave up and installed Linux Lite 5.8. The forum people were really nice, and they tried to help, and they got me up to version 11, but I had to change the location of the uh, uh, repos, and I still wasn't really getting it to work right. So I finally gave up and installed Linux Lite 5.8, and I've had no problems whatever with that. I got my box back from Joe, as he mentioned earlier, minus a few things that, like he said, he'll send along. The cost headphones were welcome, much more comfortable than the ones I've been using. For those of you watching, let's see, I should have those here somewhere. Oh, nope, don't, don't see them. I get, oh, here they are. This is what I was using. They were $5 at Dollar General. As you can see, the ear cups are much smaller than these. <laughs> So it's nice to have headphones that fit my ears. I know Joe said they were too small for his. Um, the only thing nice on those is the the cable is reusable. I tried to remove Bluetooth from my Raspberry Pi 4 last night. It was just, you know, I didn't need it. I wasn't using it. Uh, and I thought it might keep, it might load faster because it wouldn't have to load the Bluetooth driver. I could have just told it not to load the Bluetooth driver, but no... I tried to uh, remove it. Somehow I managed to remove a bunch of libraries that Cody needed, and I am told that they are not installable. So my days of Cody are over, as even if I could reinstall Cody, the plugins I use appear to be no longer available. Yes, I know I can get Cody on Android TV and other sticks, but you can't authorize the plugins without a full browser experience. I also know that there's lots of free streaming TV out there, but most of it is not on demand. It doesn't carry most of the shows I watch, and you have to pour over pages of badly organized schedules to find anything. And I've been talking with Joe and Bill about these things, and uh, there are some things I could try, some things I could try that I don't know about yet that Joe mentioned before the show started. Um, apparently he covered in the past episode that I didn't listen to. Sad me. And I guess that's about it for me. My my car is running. We have to go get the catalytic converter fixed, which is going to be over $900 replaced. Uh, how about you, Bill? I give up. <laughs> Those catalytic converters, I'll tell you what. Well, this is not the little muffler type one on the tailpipe. This is the big one that bolts right oh, on yeah. the uh, head. Yeah. And if you try to bypass it, the computer, it's like they know, and the computer makes it run like crap. So Yeah, and I'm getting 34 miles per gallon out of this car, so I'd rather have it running well. Yeah, well, I mean, it would just run like like garbage without it, because it would throw off the vacuum and all that stuff. Well, uh, work has kept me a little preoccupied these last couple of weeks. I imagine that's a narrative that'll continue on into the well into the future. Uh, anyone who is, uh, anyone who turned into, uh, tuned into the last episode of the round table would have been keenly aware of the trouble I had getting discord to work with my Bluetooth headset on my phone. Um, this turned out to be yet another shortcoming of the discord platform. Um, okay. Let me pre preface by saying I was in a bad mood when I wrote this, honestly, all that being said, honestly, uh, I would give up anything to steer the podcast away from this, from its complete dependence on this black box proprietary platform. On my other show, Three Fat Truckers, we have switched over to a completely new solution for making the show. It's called VDO.Ninja. The beauty of this solution is that it, requ it requires no software installation since it runs from the browser. This means it is platformed independent. 
and literally any device with a web browser, camera, and microphone can connect and make a flawless podcast with clean video feeds and absolutely no lagging. Or at least that was my experience. We we did our last show using this uh with this new uh this new solution and and I was steered to this solution referred to it by um Destination Linux cuz I wrote them an email about a month ago because I was really getting a little um frustrated because one one big shortcoming that really irritates me about Discord is like like right now the guys the guy the other guys on the show wouldn't notice because they're seeing they're seeing an image of me on their screen with my server off to my off to their right and they're seeing the image the way it should be but since I am the one that's capturing the screen and streaming it off you're getting a mirror image of me in the YouTube screen so I can't have I can't have anything in my background with any writing uh or else it would be backwards and some people might be able to deal with that but my personality is not such that I'm able to deal with that uh so all the guys will look fine except for the person that is streaming and discord does not give you any functionality to flip your individual feed over and I can only imagine it's because they don't want you using this software for this purpose. Uh, otherwise, it would be there. You can do it in literally every other platform. You can flip your your uh, video feed in Jitsi and in Teams and uh, uh, Zoom, all of them, uh, and and of course in this Video Ninja too. But in Video Ninja, you have the ability to take a URL stream and pipe that directly into OBS Studio. So this this is software that integrates itself directly into OBS, and there is no need for any kind of window capturing magic going on or anything like that. It's it's absolutely fantastic. If you go to the website, you'll notice it's a little old looking. Um, some of the some of the controls, some of the buttons. Honestly, the the design is not the best. But its functionality is just absolutely priceless, in my opinion. And let's say you are the one that creates the room, and uh, you send the link or the invitation to the other people, and then you start st- streaming. And if they have problems on their end, any technical problems, you've got a director's uh, interface right there in front of you. You can literally fix their problems from your interface. So this is perfect for a podcast like mine, like Three Fat Truckers, where I'm trying to babysit a couple seven-year-olds uh, on the other end, and they like to play with their toys. So if they screw something up, I'm able to get on there and fix it. So, it, I mean, immediately, I fell in love with this thing. Um, but anyway, that's that's uh, that, that's just how I kind of see it with uh, Discord. Um, I think they want you to pay for their streaming service. And that's why they make things a little bit more difficult, a little less functional for people that are that are relying on it. So anyway, that all being said, uh, another thing I've been working on is the complete overhaul of my NextCloud server that I've been running on my Rock Pro 64. Um, some of this is partly because I'm trying to steer away from the Snap ecosystem, and some of it is because I'm sort of actively searching for a possible solution if we have to completely abandon ship on the uh, Google Drive thing for the show. I want to make sure that we've got a seamless way of uh, keeping all of our stuff backed up, our show notes and our uh, show audio. And I and I have achieved that. Um, but for my part, I, I just wanted to get away from the snap thing because I'm just... I'm not saying there's anything wrong with snaps, but I, I I don't know enough to know if there's anything wrong with it. And you you have these strange things happening in the community, like ex Snapcraft engineers creating scripts to convert all your snaps over to Flatpak, and then we're supposed to just interpret that as him just doing it for fun. I don't know that that just seems. The people they they do these things and then they they're not real clear if there was any technical reason for them to do it. But they they 
I don't know if they understand or not how much the things they do are interpreted by the community and then people in the community will react on those things that they do. And it's true. They do. And I'm no different. I don't really know how snaps work under the hood either, except that, uh, well, there's these are loop devices essentially. So I think what people don't like among one of the things that people don't like is how it is uh, containerized, but maybe a bit over containerized for desktop use. Because with flatpacks, flatpacks are also containerized, but they don't uh, have to be extracted and mounted like snaps do. And I still don't really see any problem with snaps on the server. But because you don't have flatpacks on the server, there really isn't a, 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 a debate about what you should use on a server. Well, maybe, I guess, uh, snaps or native packages. But, you know, the things about... Uh, universal package managers that people sometimes complain about them not blending in with the system theme and, and stuff. That's not really a concern on a server if you're running headless. No. And I mean, and it's like I said, I don't know enough to be able to pass any meaningful judgment. And to be fair, that next cloud server, I think, I think I had about two years of that running without any incident whatsoever. Um, so I can't really say that it was that I had any technical imperative to switch over. I mean, part of it was me wanting to learn how to put all that stuff together because you do have to build the LAMP stack and then install it from the website. Well, download it from the website and move it and then set up PGP PH, modules for the uh, PHP modules for uh, all that stuff to work right. You know, and it, and it was a learning experience that I wanted to that I wanted to do more than anything else. But, but I do notice though, once it's up and running, it seems to be more performant than it was before. But I can't tell if that's because I, when I installed the snap, I just went with all the default settings, you know, in the, the PHP config and all that. And with this new installation, I actually, and I, and I, uh, I linked to the YouTube video here that I followed and and his accompanying blog post, uh, LearnLinux.tv. He's got a f- couple of fantastic tutorials on there with blog posts to go along with it so that you've got all the copy and paste stuff that you need because some of the – you've got to execute a couple of really long install commands because there's a lot of stuff that has to get installed to get all the – your Apache and your – your uh maria db and and that's another thing it was you know you learn how to set up databases and then installing the apache server and all the uh, getting an ssl certificate and all that stuff it was it was a cool learning experience i think the other thing i was never really comfortable with with the snap was that in order to like in my case the uh the operating system is installed on the emmc card and so is the snap of course but i want to use the two big iron wolf drives in there to store all the stuff on but the snap is confined and the only way to overcome that limitation is to either bound bind mount your storage into the slash var slash snap slash next cloud slash common slash next cloud slash data You've got to either bind mount your your storage in that, or if you're using ZFS, set the uh, data set to mount to that. And that always felt kind of hacky, in my opinion. So that when you install it native, like I did, you you've got the ability to tell Nextcloud itself where your storage is. So it it seems a little bit more congruent that way. Um, well, yeah, like I said, I. Uh, the first thing I did, I completely rebuilt this thing from from the ground up. Um, I went with the Debian Stable Edition, which is about the only. Well, there's there's a Manjaro uh, build out there for the Rock Pro, but it's not server oriented. It's more desktop. Debian, you can install it, and it's just like it. Well, I mean, it is Debian proper going on this thing, and it goes through the whole process of. Uh, asking the questions and then setting up the drives and everything. And then you've got a working Debian server. Um, it's text-based, the installer is, but it's graphical enough. It's it's the old 
text-based installer that we were used to with Debian before they started using the what what was the one they used the Calamari's or the the one that they're using now the installer I don't know anyway Debian if you uh, boot in with the live ISO then it uses Calamari's but otherwise the net install just uses the Anchor's based Debian installer the so the netboot installer would be use the would use the uh Incursus based I would assume then but that's what you've got with this. Um, if it had the a next step, ba- if it had a blue background, that is the Anchor's one. Right. Yeah. The next step was to install the ZFS file system, which you know is just a couple of commands, the DKMS package and all that, and then uh, create the pools and data sets that I wanted to put the stuff on. And as I said before, a Nextcloud in- installation can be divided up into four parts, at least. It's- well, it, it can be divided up a lot more than that, but four major parts. Uh, installation, configuration of a database such as MariaDB. You could also use MySQL. I mean, I suppose you could get things like InfluxDB or something like that working. Um, installation, configuration of the web server. In this case, I used Apache. Uh, Nginx is another popular option. Uh, then installation, configuration of the P- of PHP, which is the scripting language for the server. Um, the way I kind of understand it, it, it is kind of the way things are, are communicated between the web server and the database. Uh, you, and then from there, you download, unzip the uh, Nextcloud server software, and then you have to move that to the slash var, the proper slash var directory. In my case, I... I followed exactly what uh, I wish the guy I knew the guy's name, but the the guy in uh, LearnLinux.tv he uh, he named his directory after the fully qualified domain name of his server, and then you move that to the slash var slash www dot directory. Uh, the instructions given in that video I linked above are excellent and easy to follow. And in about an hour, I had my own Nextcloud instance up and running. And I had my domain uh, name registered with Let's Encrypt so that HTTPS is working and now everything is running great. Uh, I type in, it's it's fully qualified and my domain resolves straight to my uh, Nextcloud now. Nextcloud's a great solution. It's it's worth taking the time to learn because it you can throw it on a Raspberry Pi with a little bit of storage and you can have your own. You don't have to expose it to the internet if you don't want to. You can just use it there in your home. And you could even just set up a wire guard and just wire guard back into your home if you needed access to it from outside your network. And uh, like I said, it's a, it's a great solution for anyone. All right, cool. So announcements. Live stream information is at mintcast.org forward slash live stream. If you see something you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us an email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post on the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. Moving on to our wrap-up. Joe, how can we get a hold of you? Well, if you like the sound of my voice, you can catch me at tllts.org. That's the Linux Link Tech Show. Or the LinuxLugcast.com. But uh, I, I did miss Friday's show. I was busy doing campaign stuff. Uh, you can find me on MeWe. You can send me an email, jb at mincast.org. Or you can buy me a coffee by using the link in the show notes. Boss? You can hear me every week on the Full Circle Weekly News. Um, I'm on Distro Hopper's Digest, which should be recording in a couple of weeks. Um, you can email me at bardmoss at pm.me. And my contact info is available on itsmoss.com. Bill? Well, for the time being, you can email me at bill at mintcast.org. I'm Bill underscore H on Discord, at WCHauser3 on Twitter, at w, well, WCHauser3 on Facebook also. 
And check out my new podcast, 3ftpodcast.org. How about you, Norbert? I just muted while I wanted to unmute. You can send me an email at norbert at mincast.org. And Nishant couldn't make it today, but you can send him an email at nishant at mincast.org. He's Raikon Ghost on Instagram, Raikon Ghost at GitHub, on GitHub, Ghost.Raikon on Discord, and Maverick00783 on Steam. I, I know, I know that, um, it's spelled Rikon, but he actually says it Recon. Okay. Hmm. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website, Hobstar for our logo, Annette RD for the Aminated Discord logo, and Londoner for our time sync. Norbert and Tony Hughes for audio editing of the show. Bitemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. And the Linux Meet development team for the fine distro we love to talk about every fortnight. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Thanks Clem. Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of The Mintcast.